You're listening to. And welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 48. It's been that long? Because we started this like in the middle, in the beginning of it's pandemic. It's actually been a year. Let me see if it's, all, it's probably been half the year. Yeah, I think so. We started it the, the the week after we locked down, which was like March 9th or something. So we've I think we've gone just past the one year mark. Wow. Uh, March 27th was our first episode. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So we're almost... Almost to the one year mark. Uh, we've only so, missed like two weeks, I think. So We definitely need a t-shirt where it's like, I was in lockdown for a year and all I did was start a stupid podcast. <laughs> My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Jew. She's on a white girl sabbatical right now, okay? She doesn't want to be a professional Asian person right now. What's your name then? Is it... It would still be <laughs> Jessica, let's be real. Um, but like Jessica <laughs> McKaylin, like two, two first names, but like with three Ys and McKaylin. Wow. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> also joining us, professional culture editor Han Wen. Hi. Oh, what a week, guys. Last week, we recorded like moments after the first reports of what happened in Atlanta. And since then, it's been, I don't want to say one of those weeks, but one of those weeks, right? It oh, was absolutely. Bad. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> and also, like, we had another shooting mm-hmm. yesterday. In right. Boulder, so nature is healing in that we're back to our one a week mass shooting schedule in America. Forgot that was a thing. One like one of the few silver linings of the panini was, you know, close everything's closed, less chances for mass shootings. But we're back. It's great. It's not great. I hate it here. <laughs> Yeah, when when we were saying we want to go back to business as usual, this is not what we meant. This is not what we meant. This is very monkey's curse, rabbit's foot. What was that? The monkey's paw. paw. (laughs) This is very monkey's paw. And it's just like, no, not should have been more specific with Mm. the wishes. Yeah. Again, our hearts go out to all the victims and the victims' families and loved ones. Um, it's always tough when these things happen. And, you know, over the weekend, the authorities did release the names of all eight victims. And we've been seeing a lot of um, mo- um, we've been seeing and, we, we, and we've been seeing uh, more coverage uh, memorializing the victims on you know, social media, on news outlets. And like I don't want to say it's a good thing because it's definitely not a good thing that this happened. But at least um, media is. But at least the media seems to be giving time to, you know, memorialize the victims and give them time, um, give them time and space uh, for the stories to be heard. <laughs> but at the same time, it was kind of tough to be online uh, or watching the news with with everything going on. I'm, I'm in some ways, I'm glad at least it's part of the dialogue. You know, it's a little I don't want to say it's too late. It's, I guess it's not too late. I don't know. Yeah, it's bittersweet. And um, everyone having just to deal with the sort of the psychic weight of all of this. It's it's real. People, <laughs> give yourself a break. Treat yourself well. Watch some escapist content. You know, yeah. whatever you need to do. Well, 
Speaking of escapist content, um, on today's episode, we have another edition of Do We Want This? Uh, Good Pops Monthly Asian American Entertainment News Roundup. Um, but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through the week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? So in pure escapist form, I have started watching the new Netflix series, Waffles and Mochi, which is a kid's series about food from the Obama's production company higher ground it stars uh, michelle obama i i don't i mean she calls herself mrs obama like but it's like she's michelle like i know which obama i like better and it's very weird it's very zany energy it's very wholesome it's a little kids excitable which is like lovely but really the star of the show is to me mochi the very cute sentient rice tree i do have like a little iffiness that like mochi doesn't talk and if we're gonna talk about like you know like asian characters not talking in properties like yeah like mochi is asian we claim it um but he's so cute it's so cute she's they're so cute mochi's mochi mochi transcends the uh the the stupid gender discourse you know they're they're above and they're beyond and they are godly but mochi is uh like i would die for mochi i have to say this is an adorable show and and number one is the character design because this is you know it's basically a puppet show with you know humans in it kind of like muppet show is so their interaction, like, I want a little mochi. I want a little mochi <laughs> to sit on my shoulder. It's really cute. Like, the whole premise is they're from, like, the Arctic. So they've only had frozen food. So they're exploring, like, fresh food. And each episode revolves around a common ingredient. And it's really global. It's really, some parts get really deep. I watch the rice episode because, obviously, I love rice. And they're, like, go in. And they're, like, they're, let's talk about slavery. And I'm, like, oh, shit. They're not, I mean, very age-appropriate discussion, but they go there, which I respect. And it's really, uh, I really love how it normalizes like various multicultural foods and experiences and people. I understand it's a kid's show, so the subtitles thing. Some of the dubbing I did not like. I think they made some artistic choices there I do not agree with. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I don't know of a, like a, I don't even know what, age range they're aiming for like maybe kindergarten like early elementary uh the episodes are kind of long they're like 20 to 30 minutes which to me feel long so i assume it's like a little bit older but it's like a really cute you know political while still being like bipartisan enough (laughs) but pretty radical for like a kid's food show they have a lot of guest stars too from like our favorites so sami nasrat from salt ed facet heat jose andres and uh, Massimo Batura, you know, the guy who runs Osteria Francescana, which I went and it's not that good. Or like, it's good, but it's not worth, like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it, guys. I'm just telling you. Um, and it's, yeah, so they have, it's really cute. I have waffle energy. Like, it's a little loud in the kids' way. So it's not like the super chill ASMR show, like some other kids' show go. It's just, you have been warned. But like, I like how excited they are about food. And I really like this one. There's this one part in this one episode where they talk about like food texture and how Mochi Mm -hmm. did not like the egg. So they're like, oh, like Mochi likes the flavor, but not the texture. And I thought that was just so smart of like giving kids the language of how to talk about food and like let them understand like what it is they like or don't like. And they don't really shame 
mochi for it. Mochi tries it. Uh, and again, this is a sentient bowl of rice I'm talking about, which is part ice cream. <laughs> I think the other thing I really enjoy is you mentioned that you have the same energy as waffle, but please explain what waffle is. <laughs> waffle is half, to my understanding, half Yeti and half waffle. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> and waffle also like too cool for the stupid gender binary discussion is above that beyond that let's eliminate gender altogether waffles like just really excited about everything like really excited about food like i love how when they eat they just start screaming because they're so happy and i was like i too scream when i'm happy about food so thank you for understanding my energy um you know, and and bringing that positivity in my life. And it's really cool because, you know, they're screaming about everything from, like, you know, mochi, onigiri to, like, you know, like, rice to, like, like really multi, like, global food. And it's really, really heartening to see, like, that be normalized and celebrated. I think food, I've thought a lot about this as a professional Asian, like, food is such a, like, sensitive topic i think for our community because it's like the easiest thing to vilify it's also the easiest thing to commodify and like showing actual like asian people creating asian food celebrating it is really heartening though there was that episode in the rice episode where they talk about mochi and you know i know how mochi's made i think a lot of us do you you basically had to like beat the shit out of the rice and Mochi was just, like, too calm about that. Like, watching himself be made. And he was just, like, it was just kind of, like, very exciting. <laughs> but I was, like, oh, I thought you would have been, like, freaking out. And we would have, like, gone into, like, a whole discussion about that. Hey, maybe, don't maybe I was expecting Mochi's too much. Yum. Maybe Mochi is into that kind of thing. Are you saying Mochi, a, a child sentient rice ball, <laughs> is, like, secretly a little bit of a sa- sa- masochist, sadist? Well, I didn't, I, I didn't know... Mochi was a child, so... I mean, it's big child vibes, Marvin, so... uh, But yeah, check it out. It's really cute. It's really fun. It's food. Again, sounds weird to say porn for kids things. Not food porn. It's it's food celebration. Yes. It's food celebration. Hong, what's popping with you? All right, so I've only started this series because I was going to avoid it. I thought it would piss me off, but then everybody just kept talking about it. So I'm actually behind everyone else um, when it comes to the series on Netflix called Marriage or Mortgage. Um, basically, the setup is, you know, a couple uh, in Nashville uh, wants to either have the wedding of their dreams or get a house. They have a limited budget for each and then they have a planner for each. Uh, and And those planners try to like outdo each other to provide the more um, tantalizing either wedding or house. And um, since it is a limited budget, they have to choose one or the other. And one of my issues, you know, generally is like, personally, I am not a wedding person as far as like my own. Like I am happy to attend anyone else's, but like planning for myself is like is not anything I've ever wanted. I don't want that attention. I think it's a lot of money I could use on the honeymoon, that type of thing. So I just went into this knowing that I would always choose mortgage. So that I knew would be a setup for me to get irritated with certain people. <laughs> um, but there's an extra layer, which I think is kind of interesting, is that this was shot pre-pandemic. So everyone who they're talking about it, you just want to tell them, 
don't choose marriage. You're not going to be able to get the wedding of your dreams. Something's going to have to be compromised or whatever. Just take the house. Oh, no. You, 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 like, you really want the house. Believe me, you know, trust me. But, um, so I've only watched like one and a half episodes so far because I'm taking it easy. Um, and definitely one of the first episodes I see, they do choose marriage. And then right after they choose it, then, you know, the title card goes up. They're like, but because of COVID, <laughs> <laughs> um, that some of them still have their marriage and they just downsize it in some way. But I'm just like, if you're going to downsize the wedding of your dreams, why don't you just take the house? But they probably, you know, were required to stick with their, you know, choice because of probably the people who advertise with them or whatever the situation is. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm excited to finally hopefully get to see uh, a couple choose a house. I would feel better about it. Um, but, oh, like none of them have chosen the house. Well, yet. well, no, no, there are some. My 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 coworker who watched all of them was very careful not to give anything away because they knew that this is part of the appeal of the show is definitely no spoilers because there are like there are times when you think they're going to go one way and then they go the complete opposite. So I'm not deep enough into it, but I definitely have heard that some people choose the house, which I'm excited about. But um. I also just, I hate to say it, I want to see more of those marriages and those title cards go up and just, you know, find find out, like, if they did do their wedding, if they didn't, you know, whatever it is. I mean, okay, the three of us are, like, frugal, middle-class Asian people, right? It's like, to us, there's only one choice. No, okay, so here's the thing. I, okay, number one, I think it's it's always place, right? It's It's, like, the budgets are around 30K. From the episodes I've seen, you that will get not get you a house anywhere in Los Angeles, like anywhere you want to live. That's not going to buy you a, a get you a down payment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, in, so in so LA, that's like definitely... one thing. And then I'm just like, you know, in in my pet panini life, I actually have like really come around to like wanting a wedding, but for very different reasons that than what I wanted. <laughs> before like my whole thing is like i feel like a wedding is the only reason or only time people will actually take the time out to go and celebrate like family like it's it's like a symptom of our like terrible capitalist society but it's weddings or funerals that's the only time people will go out of their way and if, if i said to my friends hey let's go on a vacation to italy in like next year this week like i'm booking it now you guys down they'll be like oh no i don't uh," you know but if i'm like hey in two years i'm gonna get married in italy you're down and like y'all both said like we're coming so here's the deal if they if this was a destination wedding sort of tv show then i'd be like more interested perhaps but and I'm, I'm not like knocking Nashville, but like all of them, from what I think I see, I think they're set in Nashville, all the weddings. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and again, not to knock that, but like there is definitely less incentive for me <laughs> to, <laughs> you know, I've, I haven't been to Nashville. So if a friend of mine got married there, I probably would say yes. Um, and see, you know, sightsee the rest of the place. Um, I'm definitely also because of pandemic more open to uh, domestic travel um where places i haven't been before so but at the same time like some of these weddings i'm just not impressed with so i heard there was a fame like i haven't gone to this but i've heard on twitter about the ranch fountain like there was a was a fountain I, of ranch i haven't gone there yet but oh my god 
That just sounds I can't tell if that's brilliant or stupid. <laughs> I love ranch. I love fountains. Do I want them together? Here, Maybe not. Here's the thing. I, if it's not my own thing, I adore a theme gone to extremes. So if I were invited to such a wedding where they had a ranch fountain, I would have a just a field day. I would love it so much. Because it is that's too very much cheesy. Ranch. Too much oh, ranch. it's no such thing, Marvin. No yeah. such thing. I mean, you don't have to eat it. You're not forced to eat it. So, but yeah, I would enjoy very much that there was actually a ranch fountain there. So, I'm not a ranch fan, to be honest. Does that make me trash? I don't know. But. That makes you un-American. <laughs> I'm not American. That's I'm not true. American. I guess that's fair. Okay, you win. But anyway, so that is the thing that I will recommend. If you've already watched it, you probably understand the the appeal of this show where I'm angry at the uh, the planners also. And I I haven't gotten far enough, but I do know that there's a bit, there's a bit more diversity coming. Um, but so far, I've just seen a lot of white people. Um, but uh, yeah, so that is what I'm watching. What's popping with you, Marvin? All right. So this weekend, I stared down the barrel of watching the Snyder Cut of no. Justice League. And then I saw it was four hours and I was like, nope. So I watched instead, I watched the premiere of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is the second phase four MCU TV series out on Disney Plus, um, this time starring Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie as Captain America's successors, Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson, um, the titular Falcon and Winter Soldier, respectively. And I don't know, I kind of so this is a return of form, I guess, to like your quote unquote classic Marvel superheroes where they're doing jobs for the government, fighting bad guys and terrorists. And I don't know, I kind of feel like I miss the magic. I mean, after watching WandaVision, which is more you know, magical and existential, going back to a more traditional superhero setup, I don't know. I mean, MCU is known for doing different things with different properties. And this show definitely takes after the Captain America and Winter Soldier vibes of being like a spy thriller. And granted, it's still just beginning, so we don't know where the plots will develop. And there are a couple interesting things that I think they might be doing, like addressing things like institutional racism, especially because Sam Wilson, the Falcon, is a black superhero. Um, but but so far, it seems to be a little more subtle than overt. And personally, I'm not 100% certain that that's the direction the show is going towards, even though I'd like to see them use this opportunity now that they have this TV format to explore those things. I mean, a big plot point in this first episode is, um, so spoilers for the end of Avengers Endgame, but Captain America effectively retires and passes on his shield to Sam Wilson, who he deems his successor. And at the beginning of this TV show, we see that Sam feels that he's not worthy to take up the mantle and instead, you know, passes his shield back to the government to, you know, keep in a museum. And there's a government official that thanks him for, you know, doing the right thing. And then he turns around and gives the shield to a new Captain America that they somehow decided to choose. And it's hard to look at that without thinking that maybe, just maybe, the government didn't want a black Captain America and instead gave it back to a just this like other white dude. And I think there's an allegory there for the fact that like people of color, especially black people, have to work twice as hard to get like a percentage of the return white people do. And the fact that even though the Falcon is a full-fledged Avenger, he still gets turned down for a bank loan, you know, for certain reasons. 
And like I mentioned, I want to see the show go down that route. But at the same time, I can also see them just hand-waving the way and saying, oh, it's because um, the Falcon sided with Captain America when they went against the government's Sokovia courts, and that's why the government doesn't trust him. And, you know, it might be a combination of the two, but I'd like to see that race issue um, addressed because, you know, in America, you can't have one without the other. They don't exist in a vacuum and everything's not mutually exclusive. I would like them to dig into the racial issues, definitely. Um, because as of this point, they kind of just say that, you know, Avengers don't get paid, which, you know, exploiting your intern makes <laughs> sense. Um, but w- the only Avenger that we are seeing struggling on this show is Sam. We don't really dig into the other ones. So I would like to know if and especially, you know, being denied a bank loan. That's very like the optics of that. You can't ignore, but they could. Uh, so I have to. I have to wait and see if follow up episodes dig into all of that. I think they they can't ignore that they, you know, chose to make another white um, Captain America, and I believe that there is a storyline that um, exists in canon that will help explain that sort of aspect. But but yeah, too early to tell. Yeah. And then the other side is, you know, Bucky Barnes dealing with his PTSD of being like a, was he a Nazi or communist assassin? Like, what was his, what was the deal with? Okay, Hydra, here's the right? thing. Here's the thing. Hydra? I don't know why people forget this. Hydras are Nazis. Yep. Like, that's the whole storyline of Captain America. Hydra is a Nazi, like, secret, like, sub-secret Nazi group that does, like, crazy, like, re- like Hugo Weaving was a Nazi. Zola was a Nazi. And, like, that has been the thorough line of everything we somehow forget this so in essence falcon and winter soldier is about a man who was a nazi soldier even though he was under mind control which you can read it as an allegory for some of the excuses that people used in real life and we're kind of centering his redemption journey (laughs) do we need this I I actually don't know because I personally like Sebastian Stan <laughs> just yeah. because I mean, Bucky as the character is sympathetic and I feel like they do a good job like making him feel really bad about what he's done but also he's done a lot of bad shit. But yeah, yeah, but so that's yeah. the question, so right? So it's 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 yeah, it's a struggle for me. You know, I've loved him since like Kings, which is RIP this NBC show that was really great but like short-lived. And you know, I mean, I didn't care for him necessarily in Gossip Girl, but I like him. Um, but yeah, and so I am a TBD when it comes to Bucky. I mean, I just think it's like it's like timing. I think it's a bigger question. It's I think in a vacuum, what Falcon Winter Soldier would be fine, but like especially now, <laughs> right? Are we going to center the? Red- it's just weird because they're very explicit as to like, it's not Bucky's fault. He was brainwashed. It wasn't mm-hmm. him. But does that matter? It Yeah, it, it is a because of the way Marvel works and with him, his character, especially because, you know, although he is 106 years old, he is not chronologically 106 years old. You know, he was frozen. So he is the same person. That's the thing. If it was 106 years later and it was like the grandson or whatever, then you can be like, okay, I can see and understand this. But if it's the person themselves, it's a harder sell. They're trying to get him maybe to show a little bit more with his therapy. 
Um, so yeah, <laughs> which I, is I, like great for you, great for you. But you know, as we're trying to, as a country to like grapple with what like things like restorative justice means and justice, you know, reframing justice as a help. Maybe this is too deep. Maybe we're not ready for this conversation. <laughs> it's just weird because the whole point of restorative justice is to focus on mm-hmm. the those parties harmed, and this show does the exact opposite, right? Yes. And regardless of whether or not he was under mind control, under brainwashing, it's one thing to have in the context of like they made this whole deal about it because he killed Tony. You know, spoiler, but he killed like Tony's parents, and that was like a whole thing. And are we gonna get the same arc? For all these other people he's harmed, and who are these people he's harming? Like, yeah, I mean, we're only one episode in, so we don't know what direction they're going. But I mean, this preview seemed to show that we're going buddy cop at some point. So I don't know how. Like, I want to give Marvel a benefit of the doubt. Like, now that they have the space to play in the TV series, that they're going to address like the more deeper issues here. But at the same time, I don't know if they are. So I mean. Is this a series where I'm just gonna have to turn off my brain and just enjoy the, the you know the 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 dope fights, or is this gonna be something that says something? Um, I mean, all that said, I am looking forward to seeing more Desmond Cham. He appeared in this episode for like ten seconds and like kind of just kicked some butt. That was fun. I here's the thing, the kicking the butt part I liked. Oddly enough, the big spectacle at the beginning with the airplane didn't care for. I was bored. Weirdly enough. And I don't know if maybe it would have felt different if I watched it on a big screen. But I was just thinking, wow, there is such an extended sequence. And this is supposed to be the wow factor that like gets you kickstarts the whole series. And I was like, I want to go back to WandaVision. Uh, <laughs> because it's like, I don't care for the big spectacle right now. Um, but yeah. I mean, that was the thing with WandaVision. Right? When it became about the spectacle, it kind of fell apart. But when mm-hmm. it was about the character moments, it was like at the strongest. You know, you're mm-hmm. watching... Nawanda deal with her her grief watching watching Jimmy Woo just be Jimmy Woo. I mean, I think that's what this show is actually missing is just more yeah. Jimmy Woo. I mean, we can hope, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is now playing on Disney Plus, so you can't avoid it. So you might as well check it out if you're a fan of Marvel. And let's see where it goes. Yeah, that's what's popping for this week. When we come back, we're gonna go over some of the latest Asian American entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this. Stick around. Hey, professional Asian American. Hi, Marvin. Have you heard of Irvin's salted egg chips? Marvin, at my house, Irvin's is a form of cultural currency because I told my mom that I might get paid in Irvin's chips and she has never been more proud of me. (laughs) Yeah, Irvin's is a sponsor of this podcast and they are Singapore's number one snack and it's finally in the States. No more smuggling back from Asia. No more smuggling. You don't have to do anything illegal. Uh, The chips are great. The cassava chips are great. The fish skins are excellent. Uh, Up and down the line, Irvin's is delicious. Yeah, Irvin's is the original salted egg chip. They use real salted duck egg that has been brined for 30 days and steam cooked and hand mixed into chips, into potato chips, fish skins, and cassava chips. Then they use real salted duck egg yolks, fresh curry leaves, and red peppers that are diced directly into the bag. Mmm, and you can taste it, Marvin. You can taste the straight-from-Asia flavor. Visit eatirvins.com to order your bag of Irvins chips today uh, and use promo code GOODPOPCULTUREClub, all caps, for free shipping on any order. That's eatirvins.com with promo code GOODPOPCULTUREClub. 
Make your Asian mom proud. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It's time for our monthly news roundup where we go around the virtual table here and each of us will bring up two uh, news items from Asian American entertainment and we'll ask ourselves if we want this. Um, I'll start off with our first story, which is late last month, Nickelodeon announced that it's launching Avatar Studios, a division designed to create original content based on the Avatar The Last Airbender series, um, ranging from animated series to movies based on the franchise's world. Um, The original creators and executive producers, Michael DiMartino and Brian Konitsko, will run the studio as co-chief creative officers, reporting to Ramsey Naito, the president of Nickelodeon Animation. Do we want this? Mm. (laughs) No. (laughs) I, I just, I'm not an Avatar fan, so... Like, we, they give Avatar a lot of, like, we as a community, general we, not me, we give Avatar a lot of passes, and I don't know why. <laughs> um, guys, it's a bunch, it's two white dudes creating an entire world, now studio, based off East Asian and indigenous culture. They have a terrible track record of hiring Asian talent. Also, like, I've gone to, like, fights over this on, like, lo- online. Like, no one knows how shit works. Like, oh, the director, the director doesn't do shit in, 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 in TV, guys. Director's not the one in power. It's the writers. Their writer's room is very white. Their cast was all white. Oh, they didn't know better. No, you should have known better. <laughs> okay, it wasn't okay then. It's not okay now. You did two shows. You made this, you did the same thing in both shows. You know, like, what the fuck? Like, how can I trust you? That you'll do the you'll do the right thing. I don't. Yeah, I so I was never on the Avatar bandwagon. I just know that for so many people, I'm not, I'm not sure why. Um, this this is a lot of nostalgia for them. Like they got him in pretty young. Yeah, um, I was too old. Also, I didn't have Nickelodeon, so I didn't have access to Avatar: The Last Airbender. But it gave us Dante Bosco as Zuko. But I think that was mostly it, right? And I mean, I get it. Like back in the early 2000s, there was a scarcity of representation. So we took what we can get. I mean, I was super down with Firefly because they use Chinese words, even though looking back at it, that was pretty fucked up, right? (laughs) (laughs) But back then you took what you can get. And I mean, you can make the argument that it gave Dante Bosco like one of his most iconic characters for a whole generation. Um, But to me, I think growing up with access to Asian entertainment already, I had anime to 
fill the gap. So to me, like I wasn't interested in like anime made by white people, which is what I saw Avatar as, like fairly or unfairly. That's that's how it played to me. I get why people are excited. I mean, I know to a lot of people, Avatar is like their Star Wars. So I get it. it. It's you know, I, I mean, this is just even outside the whole like. You know, outside of the content, because I actually like Avatar. The I don't, I'm not, I don't like, I'm not as hard for it as some people are. I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoy it. I, I never was able to kind of get over that knowledge of like, these are two white guys, like, kind of just like, I will admit, like, it's good storytelling. It's a good show. But, you know, for me, it was very hard to kind of get over that, like, oh, they're definitely profiting off like my culture um, and other under, you know, uh, uh, oppressed cultures in the Western world, we shall say, and then, like, and I don't know. It's just like, what if we let two white guys do like I don't even know. Like, they decided they were gonna like make Coco into like a whole like universe and do a, like build out that world, and there was like two white guys. I'm just like, <laughs> it's it's different when we talk about money. Like, what happened is in the past. And, you know, I don't really think it's the best use of time and energy to talk about what's already made, done, and, like, out in the world. We're talking about now. We're talking about giving them more power, more access, more resources. When we don't even have Asian-American, like, studio heads, you know? Like, we don't have, like, a Ava DuVernay production crew, like, set up anywhere, really. Maybe the closest is, like, like you know, a major set up uh, in in under some some studios um it's it's just like michael galanco has his but nothing has been produced yet it's just like uh it's just so infuriating <laughs> yeah uh just quick aside i would say like how dare you erase rufio when it comes to dante bosco's iconic I'm of a certain generation rufio yes. was my generation the generation <laughs> after me jess's generation is zuko um, i know this for a fact because if you go to any asian event and Dante Pazzo comes out there is a delineation between people who recognize them as Rufio and people who recognize them as Zuko but yes. Rufio is more fun to say when it comes hey, to Rufio. You- <laughs> yeah. Rufio and like honestly like I wish you know that there were there should have been more opportunities right like overall for- yeah again I don't necessarily begrudge the popularity that did have um i agree we were starved so starved for representation at the time you know kind of give them a pass things that we kind of glossed over fine it definitely is an issue of why are they doing this now and then why are they doing it now this way uh yeah i i I don't want any of this (laughs) yeah so we don't want this (laughs) Yeah, don't profit off our culture and not give anything back. Also, um, maybe I haven't been following closely. Have they said anything this week? Oh, I... Have they donated anywhere this week publicly? There's been an interesting... I don't want to say interesting, but, you know, it's very conspicuous silence from certain quarters. So, Like every chef who cooks Asian food? (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. Jess, what's our next story? Okay, so a few years ago, there was an article that came out about these mysterious art heists, but only in the Chinese art wings of various um, various museums around Europe. And it was announced recently that John M. Chu of Crazy Rich Asians and In the Heights fame was going to direct a movie based on this article and real-life events called The Great Chinese Art Heist. And yes, yes, let's do this. I love art. I love an art heist film. 
I love a heist film. I love fucking over the colonizers. I love John M. Chu. He's great with like the kinetic energy stuff. Like, um, I, I hope it's very, I, I assume it's going to be very like lyrical, right? Like dance, dancey. Like I, I want to see that. And I'm very excited about this movie. Yeah. The, the premise sounds pretty awesome. Um, you know, John Chu, he's been getting a lot of work since Crazy Rich Asians, like deservedly so. It's such a, this is such a great story. Like when I read the article itself, I was like, I was just so giddy. It was a GQ article. I was like, my, you know, my friends and I, we all sent it to each other. We're just kind of like laughing about, you know, these mysterious art heists. Um, and if you know the general, like a history of, it's interesting. I, you know, they're, I doubt they're going to, again, China, they're going to keep China happy. I doubt they're going to dive into like this deeper political nuanced conversation. Um, about like our ownership and but a lot of these were just like looting you know a lot of these treasures in western museums are like the spoils of looting i mean i Um, want this to be like our like that killmonger museum scene from black panther but for for us like hey remember that time you guys came and declared war on us because you wanted to sell us drugs for our tea remember that time and then you stole our shit well did you know like queen victoria legit had like a pekingese dog named ludi because they looted him from a palace in China. Uh, I mean, like, China did not react very well in general. Like, they kind of definitely overcompensating. But, like, you know what? This movie doesn't have to be about that because there are so many, like, terrible depictions of Chinese people in movies right now. Like, if we could be, like, the cool bad guys, like, the rebel renegade people who get away with shit. The best part is, like, no one knows. They will neither deny nor confirm that this is happening. (laughs) Which is like the funniest part because they won't even admit like these museums will not even admit like what's been stolen or like no one has come forward to say who's done it. Um, which is like hilarious to me <laughs> because like I feel like that kills you even more. Right. Like you can't yet you got to pretend like you oh you can't be the museum that got like ousted by you know that got bettered by like some art thieves that may or may not be funded by the Chinese government. <laughs> Yeah, so we want, I want this. Do we want this? Do you want this? Yeah. <laughs> I want it now. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for it. I, I do want this. Tell me more. Tell me who's going to be cast. I, I want more details. <laughs> huh. All right, Han, what's our next story? Okay, so the shorthand sort of like logline that people are talking about this is John Wick in Mumbai. It is a revenge thriller about an unlikely hero who emerges from prison to take on a world enmeshed in corporate greed and eroding spiritual values. Uh, this person is also seeking revenge for those who took everything from him years before. The person who is cast, who also helped write it and is making his directorial debut, is Dev Patel. Hey! <laughs> uh, but this sounds great, but to me, Dev Patel is still kind of a soft boy, so I kind of want to see him as like... Like a, yeah. a hard, Why? a hard murder man, you know. <laughs> yeah, hard boy should be the name of this. It is actually <laughs> called Monkey Man, and the, the cool thing about it is, uh, Netflix struck a deal for this, so it's like thirty million dollars for the rights to this, and it's Netflix. So this is going to be a hugely seen movie, which I'm very excited about worldwide. Um, and it is if you're wondering about why it's called Monkey Man, which. Maybe they could work on that. I don't know. We'll see. But the thing is, it's basically sort of loosely inspired by the Hindu myth about the deity uh, Hanuman. 
who is half man, half monkey. And also for those of you who take yoga, Hanuman is the monkey pose where you're basically doing full splits. Not to say he's going to be doing any of that just because that's yoga. But I was like, that would be kind of interesting if they did. Um, oh, yeah, they should change the name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and still, you know what? They can. But it it just depends on how much of that is in the storytelling. So we'll see. Um, I mean, Haruman's such a better name. Than- Hanuman is so yeah. much greater. Yeah. So much better. Um, anyway, I'm very excited about it. Um, I yeah. want it. What about you guys? What do you think? Yeah, I want it too. Especially like, you no, know, we were all deprived of Death Patel as Sir Gawain last year. Still don't know when we're getting that movie. But uh, he's been inching his way towards like becoming a leading man um, for a while now. And I think... I'm excited that it's his directorial debut and that he's like, not only is he now romantic leading man, he's also action leading man, which is like the, the, the patelissance, the dev patelissance is upon us. It's great when someone like glows up like Dev Patel has and is also genuinely like a very good actor now. <laughs> like it's, it's terrible when like someone, especially like when you get the rep sweats, right? Because the person they have chosen to uplift is like, okay. Or like, not yeah. great, which I mean, honestly, kind of doesn't happen with people of color that often. But you're just like, okay, I don't get it. <laughs> like they're like white hot, like they're hot to white people, or like I understand why white people like them, but like doesn't do anything for me. No, Dev Patel does it. Mm-hmm. He does it for everyone, and he, you know, ever since Lion, which I saw, like went out of my way to see in theaters, and he, I was just like, oh, oh, hi. Yeah. Oh hi. <laughs> yeah, I I I think the 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 revenge tale is always interesting to me. Um John Wick is a property, you know, because they're comparing it to that, that always brings discussions of uh morality and ethics that I think would be interesting here. Um and then just yeah, I I, I wanna see him kick ass. <laughs> All right. Um, our next story. Um, it's another sad one for me. Uh, Kim's Convenience, the Canadian sitcom um, that airs in the U.S. on Netflix, is canceled. Um, it was supposed to go on for six seasons, but because the show creators, Ince Choi and Kevin White, decided to move on, um, the CBC decided to pull the plug. Um, disappointing Asian diasporans everywhere. Um, Jess Han, do we want this? Uh, no. But then it's also like, I, I I do I didn't I wasn't really following this, but like, did they give a reason why they were leaving? The creators were leaving. I'm not sure if they gave any comment. There's been a lot of articles talking to the actors, and they all seem pretty shocked and upset about it. I think um Paul Lee, who plays Appa, found out about it at a fan event, which <gasps> is like a bad way to go. But I guess now he's yeah. free to pursue his Star Wars work. Um. Okay, so while clearly I would, I'm not happy for the show to end, I am still very satisfied with the show and what it's been able to do. And that it's so beloved, uh, sort of across the board. Anyone I've made pretty much get into it, they're just like, it's such a good show. It's such a happy show. And it's like such a loving show. So uh, if, if the season, if season five is just as good as that, and I'm, hoping fingers crossed i don't know how much how far it's gotten like if it has a decent ending and doesn't like end in like as one show did uh with a tornado that wrecked a whole (laughs) you know uh, a whole uh rv park which is where it was set um I, i i'll be satisfied as long as they get a decent goodbye 
and wrap things up, even if it's slightly open-ended but still feels complete, then I'll be happy. Uh, I think certain shows, when it comes to an end, let's not drag it on. And people, you know, certain shows can overextend their welcome. And we like a lot of these actors. So I do want to see them do other things. And um, I'll, I guess I would just point to the show and hope that other people will be inspired to make other good shows just like this, you know? So, yeah, I, it's, but I've also been in this business for so long that it's like I've kind of made my peace with shows that I love and <laughs> so. Oh, no, I'm still always heartbroken when they don't get, like, enough lead time to wrap things up. They should. Which is, yeah. in, like, do every a movie. Netflix show, basically. Yeah, do a movie like, at least. Can't... <laughs> yeah, like, give us the movie or, like, the reboot or, like, give them one more episode or, like, three more episodes to wrap it up. Like, I hate nothing more than when <laughs> something just ends. It, like, the lack of closure kills me. Um, so I, it seems like that's what happened though, which is unfortunate. Like they did not get to wrap up the storylines because everything was so sudden. I don't know how CBC works or like Canadian shit works, but I'm sure there's some more behind the scenes shenanigans we don't know of. Yeah. I mean, obviously something happened for them to like say they're going to make season six and then say they're not going to make season six anymore. Uh, Yeah. It probably rhymes with shunny. <laughs> or Lani. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm bummed about it too. Um I feel like Kim's convenience was from that first like wave of Asian diaspora sitcoms, right? Fresh out the boat, Dr. Ken, Kim's Convenience came out like within a few years of each other. Um, they're all in development at the same time. And to me, Kim's Convenience was probably my favorite of that bunch. Um I liked Fresh Out the Boat, but I didn't like find myself following as much as Kim's Convenience. I think I mentioned this on the show before. I think it's because um, I don't relate to kids anymore. Yeah, and I, I don't you relate hate to parents. You, like, oh, <laughs> so you needed June. You needed like Simu's character, like Simu to... or Andrea's character, um, because you know they were twenty somethings. They were young adults trying to like dealing That's with parents. True. That's true. That's true. In life, which was more closer to where I was at that point. The the humor also can be slightly more adult. So I I think we. It resonates more with us versus the the ABC ness of Fresh Off the Boat meant it had to be very palatable to kids too, and um, therefore the humor. Ended oh, up, ABC! Yeah. I thought you meant American born oh, Chinese. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, I guess ABC the network for Fresh <laughs> the Off network. the Boat. Yeah, and 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 you know, I'm not saying that all shows on ABC have only kids humor, but because it had kids on the show, it definitely leaned a bit more that way but you know what hey single single parents also you know had kids and i actually really like that um so it was just the it was just the tone that fresh off the boat had and i agree that you know it it is what it is um and just convenience spoke to me more (laughs) yeah uh jess what's our next story uh next up we have so this was just announced that they were going to... This is the first time I've heard of this project. Netflix is making a feature called Wedding Season. So yes, a rom-com starring Suraj Sharma from Life of Pi and P- Pallavi Sharda, who was... I'm the only one who watched this, the Tom and Jerry movie. She was one of the best <laughs> parts of the Tom and Jerry movie. They did her dirty by making her marry uh, Colin Jost. Um, 
but they're going to be the Netflix rom-com being directed by Tom Day, who directed Shanghai Noon. A little bit of record scratch there. So do we want this? You know what? I think I do because it's a movie and it's wedding. And I do have yeah. to yeah, I, I have to say I'm I'm all for a good spectacle when it comes yes. to yeah. So the long I'll read you the log line. Pressured by their immigrant parents to find spouses, two Indian Americans pretend to date in order to survive a summer of weddings, but find themselves falling for each other as they struggle to balance who they are with what their parents want them to be. So that's great. This is like a South Asian plus one, but like everyone's probably like it's Netflix. Everyone's like really hot. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. Again, the dir- choice of director, a real record scratch there. I <laughs> uh, feel like that's a missed opportunity to get you know some of our uh, our brown Asian folks in there. Um, and and I do wonder. I mean, not obviously none of us are South Asian, but like, like are they? Are, are we just tired of the like parents want you to get married trope? I mean, it is our daily life. My parents sent me a text um, just earlier today reminding me that if I do decide to get married, I need to let them know so they can plan ahead of time because of the pandemic. So as a 37-year-old man, that is still a thing that happens. Colin, calling you out, Marvin. <laughs> I believe my mom gave up on me. Uh, it's a don't ask, don't tell situation because I will just continue to disappoint her. well i mean it's not untrue that's the thing right it's not untrue i know there's a lot of pressure in like asian families and south asian families about marriage but that's the only stories we get yeah it for a lot of immigrant stories i mean even you know not even to compare it but because it's not asian but at the same time you know when you think about a big fat greek wedding um or the Mamma Mia sort of, yeah, I, Big Fat Greek Wedding was like, oh, it's immigrants, it's wacky, it's families. Um, and I feel like I agree that when it comes to a lot of uh, foreign or immigrant stories, that that's the thing. They're like, everyone loves a wedding. Everyone loves love. Um, and so that's how they're going to get us to, you know, the the white audience to watch it. Um, also, if there's any equivalent it. to a Big Fat Greek Wedding, it is a big Indian wedding, right? Mm-hmm. Well, my question is the summer of weddings. My question is, are these white weddings or are these other South Asian Indian weddings? Because a South Asian Indian wedding is three distinct events. So they're going to have like one wedding is not one wedding. It's like three distinct events over for each wedding. Like how many, how many uh, Sanjits are we going to see? Like how many dance numbers can we cram into this um, <laughs> film? I think it's going to be a mix of weddings and I hope it's not too tokenized in that way but i do feel it's going to be a mix of weddings that we're going to see um but yeah i i i I, I think they uh, we haven't seen enough in a mainstream american movie though indian weddings so true and i love the fact that you know they're both south asian like let's 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 get that chemistry bubbling let's get that hot hot you know i was south asian love going because we always need more of that we need more like you know, couples that don't involve any white people. I mean, it looks like they also casted the best friend roles already. Um, it just announced that Rizwan Manji was just cast in the series, as well as um, Ari Afsar, who she originated Eliza Hamilton in the Chicago production of Hamilton. Oh, I mean, Riz, Rizwan's always hilarious. I want to, like, I, when I first saw this story, I thought he was the leading man. I was like, oh, he's finally getting his shot. But it looks like he's going to be, like, 
the second lead again, which, you know, he's a great character actor. Even if you don't know his name, you've seen this man in a lot of like your favorite things. Like Shit's yeah, Creek. Yeah, I mean, Shit's like, Creek blew up yeah. and he was also on a show I really liked that only lasted one season, but A Perfect Harmony. He was like the pastor oh, yeah. in Perfect Harmony. Really funny. He's always funny. He was in The Magicians. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, uh, I love a will they, won't they? I uh, hope it's steamy. Like PG-13 steamy, I guess. Yeah. Um, let's give me a good romance. It's been a while. Yeah. Like, I, I I love a tween romance, but I hope, you know, the tweens only, especially now that I'm on, like, definitely on the other side of the tweens, it's, like, kind of creepy to be, like, rooting <laughs> too hard for, like, a tween romance. Um, so now it's just, like, okay, give me, like, a young adult, like, late 20s, early 30s romance yeah give, give me, me a good rom-com give me that on the door to middle age romance <laughs> but like everyone's just hotter because this is a movie and that's what i want all right han uh what is our last story for this episode all right it's a goodie um uh oscar nominee steven yun and ali wong have teamed up for a, t- a TV series on Netflix. It's a comedy drama and wait for it. The title is called beef, which how, how good is that? Like, do I need to know anymore? I don't really, but I can tell you some more. <laughs> when I first heard um, of it, I thought it was going to be like, is it about Korean barbecue? Is it a barbecue movie or a TV show? I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Honestly, <laughs> I, I know in some Regards, people are like, oh, I'm kind of tired about talking about Asian food when it comes to just media um, because food is usually the in. But you know what? I still mm-hmm. would have watched it. It is not that. Uh, it, the beef is more of the metaphorical uh, sense. So let me actually explain how Variety uh, explained it. Uh, the show follows two people who let a road rage incident burrow into their minds and slowly consume their every thought and action. Um, and beef will be comprised of not like marbled goodness, but 10 half hour episodes. Are you saying we're finally getting our K Rage TV show? Oh, wait. oh my and God. And V Rage is, is yes. there such a thing as V Rage? I, I want to say there is because I have another Vietnamese friend who got mad at that. Yeah, uh, here's the thing I think angry Asians in general, you know, are a thing. <laughs> v Rage, I don't think I've ever literally heard, but we've been conquered so many times, you know, it's simmering. <laughs> Just, we'd, uh, I'm very angry all the time and I just eat myself up inside with it. So, yes, I would confirm um, that V-Rage is a thing. Uh, it is brought to you by the creator, showrunner, executive producer Lee Sung Jin. Um, he has done a lot of work. He's currently on Dave, that TV show. But he also was an executive producer on uh, Tuka and Birdie, that awesome Netflix animated show um, where both Ali and Steven, our voices on it. And uh, even though Netflix had the bad, you know, um, decision-making to cancel it, uh, Adult Swim swooped in, as it were, to uh, get its second season, which we will see later this year. But Which um, means it, it's going to HBO Max, right? <laughs> uh, yes, eventually it will, um, because it is a Warner product, <laughs> a Warner yeah. media product. And then um, it's also from A24, uh, that studio, which... Um, we all know the movies, you know, First Cow, Farewell, um, all these really great, Midsommar, like they do some amazing movies, but also TV shows are really good too. They, they're, they're, uh, they're the people behind Rami um, and uh, At Home with Amy Sedaris. So like they do, they take a lot of risks creatively and they put 
their money where their mouth is. So I really like A24. I know even if something's not perfect for me, it's going to be interesting and uh, telling a different point of view. That's exciting. Um, it's exciting to see Stephen Young um, continue. Like like A24, Stephen Young has made a lot of really interesting decisions with where he's gone after, you know, after his his um, breakthrough role as, as Glenn at, in The Walking Dead. And this sounds really exciting. Yeah, and they're both executive producers. The, uh, the Ali and Stephen Yun are executive producers on this. And so even though uh, Lee Sung-jin is a creator and writer showrunner, I bet you there's going to be input from them. Um, although there's a very nice quote, which I liked. So uh, Lee said... Uh, the usual sort of Ali Wong, Stephen Yun, A24 and Netflix. It's a dream team. I'm honored to be collaborating with them, you know, just like it's an honor to be Asian. That's my <laughs> input. But he also says, I'm also grateful to the guy who yelled at me in traffic three years ago. I did not let it go. And now we have a show. So there you go. Like, how much better is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, so, yes. Do we want this? I want this beef. I want it now. Um. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want. I want. I always want to see more Stephen Yeun and Ali Wong. Um, I'm interested in seeing Ali Wong in a dramedy setting. Um, you know, we've yeah. seen her in a lot of comedies, but I don't think have we seen her exercise her like dramatic muscles yet. She did a little bit in Birds of Prey, I guess. Yeah, we know Steve Yeun is like fun. Steve Yeun's a really good comedic actor, and, um, and it's just yeah. like a funny person. And we know the two of them have good comedic chemistry because they also play a couple in Tuco and Birdie. Right. Yes. Yes. He is. <laughs> I have a picture of his Tuka and Birdie character. Um, it's it's a joke with it's a meta joke. Um, but he has a photo of himself that he uh puts up in her place. But then I have that photo, so it's an animated photo of him <laughs> that I put, I put as a bird. Yeah, as a bird that I put in a frame for my wall. So it's like, extremely niche. Yeah, but it's Asian many representation. Layers. <laughs> this bird um yeah i claim to fame for work you know we threw that big gala for 25th and i took a picture of ali wong and steve yun in 2016 where randall park photobombed them and i was like and she put it on their instagram or or it was either her and randall with steve yun photobombing but it was them three and i was like oh and then she put it up on her instagram and i was like this this is the greatest work I've ever done in my life. Like, I this is my legacy. Let me die now. Yeah, I'm so excited just for them and any collaboration. Um, and while I'm, I know Lee Sung Jin is like also the creator and writer of this. I have a feeling that you cannot be in a part of uh, a production where Ali Wong is an executive producer and not have some of her stamp on this. So I, I'm also very curious to see what that is. I, I just, any new news for this will just make me more excited. Yeah, I mean, it is exciting that they're committing to a Asian American showrunner. And again, in TV, the writer, showrunner, creator has most of the power. You know, he's going to be the one. And so it all bodes well. Steve Yeun has proven to have amazing taste, right? Even as a producer. Ali Wong is a writer herself. And has, you know, she co-wrote Always Be My Maybe. Her stand-up specials are amazing. So it's like, yes, it's all like very exciting, talented people shaping up to be something that hopefully, like, will do us proud, give nuance mm -hmm. to our contemporary community. I feel like even with all these strengths, we're still like 
there's still a little bit of rep sweats, right? There's still a little bit like, oh, I hope, I hope it goes well. I just hope basically when Steven Yun wins the Oscar, that they're just sitting on the extra information on this and will release it soon after. Um, I that is not to jinx him, <laughs> but uh, I I just feel like they can't really, yeah. We didn't talk about the Oscars in our news episode. Um, I mean, I, I feel like everyone at this point, everyone knows who's up there. You know, Stephen Young got nominated for Best Actor along with Riz Ahmed. Um, Yo-Yo Jung got nominated for uh, Minari for Best Supporting Actress for her role as um, as Grandma. Grandma. Chloe Zhao and Lee Isaac Chung got noms for both Best Director and Best Picture uh, for Minari and Nomadland. And Best Screenplay for respective categories, adapted and original. And um, the Best Picture Oscar, for those of you who don't know, goes to the producer. So the producer of Minari is a Asian-American woman, Christina Oh. And this is the first time an Asian-American woman is nominated in that category. So some pretty cool shit. Yeah. Um, also, The White Tiger was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. And there's a film from Hong Kong that made it to the international film yeah and best animated film um over the moon got a nomination which i guess raya didn't count this year huh because it's no no it didn't it was way too late well congrats to all the nominees especially those from the asian american community it's fun to have some people that represent you to root for in these things and this won't be the last you hear about the oscars um from this podcast um we still got some time before the award ceremony in mid april which gives us a few weeks to catch up on some of the films that we missed so stick around for that um with that that'll do it for this edition of do we want this um jess han thank you so much for joining me once again to talk about the latest asian american entertainment news if people want to follow your thoughts on social media where can they go i'm on twitter at just Jew tweets and i am at anonymous uh, you can find me on Twitter at Marvin Yue. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and check out our past episodes at goodpop.club. A big thank you once again to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-hosted podcasts that the Good Pop Culture Club is a proud member of. You can check out our fellow Potluck pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Pop Culture Club. We'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Seven years. Has, has it been that long? Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, I was on a fishing boat. Training. It's part of the plan. Pla- what training? What plan? The, 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 the third season of the Korean Drama Podcast! Okay, we're doing this again? Okay, but there's no body switching in this one, right? No! The only thing we're switching is the fact that we're going to watch a good drama this time. From 2020, called Itaewon Class! A story about starting a restaurant and a dish that Koreans love called Revenge. I thought you were gonna say kimchi jjigae. I thought you were gonna say juke. Those two. Koreans love those two. Listen to the Korean Drama Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.